Hello and welcome to Beyond Business with Wärtsilä, a podcast series that goes above the realms of strategy and operations and seeks to find solutions to our global problems. I'm your host Atte Palomäki and on a monthly basis I'll be talking to an expert in their field about how we can work together to make a real difference. The idea behind each episode is to look beyond the scope of profit and margins and to really discover how businesses, thought leaders and experts can rally together and use their experience, intelligence, forethought and honesty to facilitate real change. This time I'm joined by a philosopher and researcher in psychology who has worked extensively on the rather large question of the meaning of life. Frank Martela, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. The reason Frank is with me here today is because we want to take a deep dive into the idea of happiness. More specifically, whether the Nordics are as happy as they are perceived in the global media. This is especially timely because Finland has for the fourth time been ranked as the happiest country in the world. Also, we will explore if and how corporations can help create a happy society. So let's find out. First, Frank, let's set the foundations. What actually is happiness? That's a good question, and I think there's not so straightforward answer than we would want, because there seems to be like several different things that we quite often label as happiness, and sometimes it might be better to like keep them apart. So quite often when happiness is, for example, measured in psychological surveys, we might be talking about life satisfaction. How satisfied are you with your life as a whole? So that's like one way of like trying to capture people's satisfaction and happiness with their life. But then some some people might be arguing that you know that being satisfied with life is one thing, but another thing is like are you experiencing positive emotions on a regular basis? So another way of like conceptualizing happiness is about you know experiencing regularly positive emotions, feeling joy, feeling you know laughing and smiling and these kind of things. And then at the same time we must remember that you know that the, the presence of positive emotions is not always guaranteed. That there's like lack of negative emotions. So instead of seeing these as just like opposites. They are independent things that some, sometimes people might be like low on both things, low on both positive and negative affects, so not feeling particularly affective at all. In some situations, people might have like high feelings of positive, high positive feelings and high negative feelings at the same times, and sometimes they might be like you know, one one is higher than the other. So that has to be also like taken into account. So in that sense, especially when we want to research a topic, we have to separate these different constructs because they they differently predict different things and also different things seem to be predicting them on a different way. So of course, the ideal thing would be, would be that the person would be high on positive affect, low on negative affect and having high levels of life satisfaction. But we have to also un- understand the situations when these three constructs come apart. Yeah, that's fascinating. Certainly not standardized in any way. But um Uh, how dependent is happiness then on the individual and how much on the society and surroundings around us? Both factors matter and it's hard to say like whether one is more important than the other. But of course, there's quite big national differences in people's levels of happiness around the world. When Finnish people are asked about the life satisfaction, their average is around like 7.7 and like other Nordic countries are quite much in the same range. But then when when one goes to like you know, some other countries, If one goes to a country like Afghanistan, you know, people's life satisfaction from a scale from zero to ten will be like around three, which is already like quite a substantial like average difference between these life satisfactions. So in that sense, the country where you live and the society where you live has quite a big a- impact on people's happiness. But at the same time, within each country, there's big variation 
between people's happiness levels as well. So like in every country, there are people who are like extremely happy and people who are like extremely sad. And sometimes the reasons for their happiness and sadness are something that the society cannot really, you know, impact. So some factors the society can like improve. And society perhaps like is better at removing the sources of unhappiness and building the sources of happiness in a way. So that, you know, the society can can help much in removing the usual things that make people unhappy, like, you know, sickness and no, not having like security or not having like housing or something like that. But the, the factors of happiness are sometimes more dependent on the individual situation. So when you say that the, the factors of happiness differ country by country, are there certain things that then pop up more than the others, regardless of the countries? Yes, there are certain like factors. And of course, there's research has been trying to like identify this, what are the kind of like the basic needs of human beings? What are the things that people, no matter the country or the culture, are always in need of in order to experience well wellness and well-being? And for example, I've been doing quite much work around this self-determination theory, which has identified three basic psychological needs. And they have found quite much like support for the idea that these three needs seem to be something that, you know, contribute to people's happiness in every country where basically it has been studied. So it, one thing is about the sense of autonomy, be, being able to do things your own way and having like, you know, some saying in how your life is going. So kind of being, being the author of your own life, that seems to be like important to people, no matter the country. Other thing is the sense of competence and mastery that, you know, feel that you're able to master your environments, be efficient in what you're doing, be effective and, you know, accomplish things. This seems to be also something that people across the world seem to be valuing and finding well-being from. And then, of course, relationships. Human beings are social animals. So no matter what well-being research we are looking at, we always find that, you know, the, the, the close relationships seem to be the one key factor that makes people happy. Mm. And in here, it's like it's not about, you know, the quantity of the relationships, but more about the quality. So it's not about how many people you you know or how many friends you have on Facebook, but it's more about, you know, that you have like few high quality relationships, few people you can trust completely and you feel that, you know, you you are cared about and take care about you. This seems to be like something that, you know, all human beings need for their well-being and something that, you know, is valid, like no matter the country. Mm, mm. And this also means that, you know, that as regards the country differences, that many in many poorer countries, some people might be still having like quite high levels of positive feelings. And one key explanation is that they might have good close relationships. So like the material conditions of life might not be so good, but the social conditions of life in the sense of having these good, good shows of relationships might be the factor that keeps them happy. Well, I take every society would prefer to have people who feel happy and that can also be a quite big source for, for a country branding, as we've seen. And looking at the societal level, Bhutan, it was the first country to introduce this uh, gross national happiness, GNH, as an alternative to GDP the gross domestic product a decade ago. And uh, and since several countries like France, UK, New Zealand, to name a few, they've also included happiness and well-being in their overall country development agenda. So in in your mind, is GNH a better development indicator than the GDP? It's not the best idea to like, you know, to compare them with each other that we should have one and not the other, but it's like better to see them as kind of like that Both are needed for a more comprehensive evaluation of the progress and like situation of the development of the nation. So like we need to know something about the economics of the nation and GDP works well in like measuring what it what is supposed to be measuring, which is like, you know, this like how much how, how much there is like trade and how much money is money and, and, and stuff is moving in the country. But at the same time, like if we would want to use GDP as a measure of like, you know, people's 
well-being, it has several like shortcomings. So, for example, it doesn't take into account inequality, so that it doesn't take into account who is getting the money, who is getting wealthy in the, in the country, or who is not. So, like the GDP is blind to that kind of developments. Also, nowadays, when there's more and more talk about these environmental issues, that's something that the GDP is, is not good at accounting for, and that's why many politicians and policymakers are arguing that we need to like have these measures for also the environmental impact. And then there's also like quite many of the factors that make us happy are factors that are not measured by the GDP. For example, the close relationships that I also already mentioned, you know, it, it's a key factor to, to people's happiness around the world, but it's not something that the GDP usually captures. And also the basic sense of security, you know, that feeling that you can walk on the street without being harmed and, you know, feeling feeling safe in your home that no, nobody's going to break in there and you are not going to be killed or, you know, something like that. These kind of like things are not, not again, something that the GDP doesn't account for. So in that sense that GDP is good, good for the things that is measuring, but but we need like, you know, some other indicators besides it that we should follow in the politics. So any politic, political like an idea which is only following one measure is quite bad. Jean Fitosi, who was one of the economics at OECD, he's been using this like metaphor of when you're driving a car, you need like, you know, you, you need several like measures. You, you cannot like just follow one measure, but you need to know about, you know, that what is the situation with your fuel. You need to know what is the speed you're going with and so forth. So we need this kind of like this set of indicators. And among this set of indicators, the GDP is one thing that we probably should be measuring also in the future, but like along it, we should be have like some measures for the environmental impact, and then we should be some more direct measures of people's well-being. And among these well-being measures, then this like subjective well-being, asking people how they are doing would be one of the key indicators, mm. in my opinion. And, um, you know, having national happiness as a target, in your mind, how can that impact then tangibles change? There's more and more effort included into these political processes and through that, like, you know, when making political changes, think about the impact it has on happiness and impact it has on people's well-being. So probably it's going to be having a like much bigger role than it has had like thus far. Mm. And because like we haven't been measuring it on a high quality enough way, like for too many years at, at this moment, that some 10 years ago, there was like quite, quite much movement around the topic. And since then... Many countries has like implemented these like annual well-being surveys, and because of that, we all all the time get more and more data about like what are the factors that are contributing to people's happiness on a national level. So nowadays, it's like we can we can start like implement policies based on their probably probably influence on people's happiness, but there hasn't been like too much done on that front yet. But it seems to be quite much happening right now. For example, New Zealand has had this like well-being budgeting project that they, when they are making the budget. They are not only like you know measuring what what are the probably impacts on the economics, but when making various changes, they also want want to like and like evaluate the impact on people's well-being. So, yes, I think that it's it's going to be having having a much bigger role in the future than it has had thus far in the national politics. Let's shift focus to the Nordics, often dubbed as the happiest countries in the world. People are often being told to learn from the Nordics. Finland, for instance, has been declared the happiest country in the world for four consecutive years, most recently in March 2021. But how can a group of nations that spend months in almost perpetual darkness be the happiest on earth? What's your take on the Nordic model of happiness? It's this World Happiness Report, which is like published every year, where Finland has now been the happiest country in the world. And the question they used in that survey, they, they used this Gallup World Poll data, where one question that pe- people are asked is about, you know, Think about your life from a scale from zero to ten. 
where zero is the worst possible life and 10 is the best possible life, where would you put yourself on this scale? And then they count the national averages for this in 150 plus countries. And Finland Finland has been like doing doing re- pretty well in there. And all the Nordic countries has actually been doing pretty well. That it has been published since 2012, and every year basically all of the Nordic, all five Nordic countries have been the top 10 of the world. And we dug dug into this topic like last year with with few colleagues of mine. We were we wrote like one chapter to this World Happiness Report about the Nordic happiness, and we were able to identify like four factors in, which seem to be like explaining why the Nordic countries are doing so well. So one was about you know this kind of like that the institutions are functioning well in in the Nordic countries. So democracy is like, we have like quite high quality democracy here. So like people trust, people know that, you know, the the elections are free, the press is free and kind of like the institutions are able to deliver whatever they are trying to deliver. So there's like not much corruption. So all of these indexes, when, when you're indexing like press freedom or corruption around the world, the Nordic countries tend to come off the top. And that seems to be one of the factors that is contributing to high levels of the Nordic happiness. Other factor is about this kind of like this welfare state that the Nordic countries have quite extensive welfare benefits for people like pensions and unemployment benefits and so forth and kind of like protecting people against various harms that they might be having in their life. And this seems to be like an, another factor which seems to be contributing quite much to the Nordic high levels of happiness. And I guess like here the contribution is not so much, you know, Nordic countries would have more people who would like on a scale from zero to 10 would like say that their life is like at at the level of 10 happy. But there's much less people in the Nordic countries who say that their life is like, you know, on a scale from zero to 10, one, two, three or four. So the Nordic countries are quite good at like, you know, removing unhappiness through these welfare benefits and these support systems through which people feel that, you know, that they they don't have to be so afraid of the various downturns of life that means other countries. Then the third factor is about the sense of trust. So the trust levels are also very high in the Nordic countries. So people trust each other and people trust the institutions. I think, that, for example, Finnish trust in police is highest in the world. So no other country people are like expressing so much trust towards the police. And also as regards other institutions, Finnish, le- Finnish trust levels are very high. So that's another another thing that factor that seems to be contributing quite much to the Nordic happiness. And then the fourth factor is about this sense of freedom, because like all these, this that the Nordic model is also like producing quite much freedom for the people. So people, because they don't have to be like so afraid of the economic situation, they have like more economic freedom because the political system is kind of like not, not, not so corrupt and free. They have more like political freedom. They can say what they want without being afraid of getting into jail for saying that thing aloud. And then there's also like more this like cultural freedom in the sense that peop- the values of the people are quite liberal on, on a like international comparison. So people can dress whatever way they want and people like express different sexual identities and other other, other things more freely than in most other countries. So not like comp- there's of course like problems also in the Nordic countries as regards these things, but like there's on average less problems than in many other countries. So like the sense of freedom that is produced by these other factors also is one of the key things that makes Nordic countries so happy. Yeah, and interestingly, this uh, you know happiness index, it's something that it's very well recognized around the world. So for example, when I interact with uh, colleagues from the different corners of the world and, and, and when traveling and t- telling that I'm from Finland, quite often even the taxi drivers, they said, oh, you come from the happiest country in the world. And, uh, and, and therefore it d- definitely does have a lot of impact. 
Yeah, it's, it's true for, for me as well nowadays that when I, when I go abroad, it used to be that when I said I'm from Finland, people said, ah, you have this very good like education system, the PISA results. That was the thing that people knew about Finland like few years ago. But nowadays, the first thing that they know, mention about Finland is the happiness level. But of course, Finns are also known for being quite modest. And uh, when when receiving these top ranks, there's been a lot of political debate that are we really so happy? And uh, people bring up the fact that there's a lot of loneliness and people having mental issues and a high suicide rate and, and all that. So how, how how do these balance together then? As we got this high suicide rates, that's actually like nowadays it doesn't like apply to Finland anymore. That Finland used to have like quite high suicide rates in the 70s and 80s, especially among men. But these these have been going down quite much. So nowadays Finland is not the country in the Europe with the lowest suicide rates, but Finland is quite much in the average. And actually the same thing for like the sense of depression, that when there has been like some international comparison about how many people are depressed, it's the same that Finland is somewhere in the European average, like not doing be- better, but not doing worse either. So, so in that sense, Finland has has its own problems with like depression, and I think like all countries are de- dealing with these problems. That these mental health issues seem to be like a quite a global crisis across the whole, whole like and like industrialized world. That there's like worries that the depression rates have got, gone up. So that's like not like a uniquely Finnish issue. And as regards like this loneliness, also I think like in in international comprehensions, Finnish Finnish people are actually not more lonely than people in other countries. And I also feel that the Finnish willingness to not be so like expressive about their happiness might actually protect us also from unhappiness in the sense that one thing that affects our happiness is this comparison with other people. We compare ourselves all the time to other people and, you know, we are looking at are we doing better than our neighbors? Are we doing better than our, you know, friends from school or so forth? And because Finnish people are not so much like flashing their happiness outwards, this might actually <laughs> make these comparisons a bit easier. So there's like actually some like research showing that people in the Nordic countries are less affected by these comparisons. We seem to be like not care so much. Like if if the neighbor is doing better than our- ourselves, it's not so big like, like downturn for our own happiness than it might be in some other countries. So we don't care so much about the happiness as some some some, some other people might actually like help help us well. So also that because the Finnish self-image is quite melancholic, that we think about ourselves as this melancholic bunch of people who listen to this very like heavy metal or some like depressive tango music and so forth. But through that, we are also like more accepting of these negative feelings because research has found that, you know, that one thing that you shouldn't do with your negative feelings is try to suppress them. You know, that that it's better to like, you know, when life deals, when when there's like some downturns in life, it's better to go through and accept what is happening, accept the emotions that you're having in that moment and then like go go through that. And because Finnish people are not so like obsessed with their happiness levels, that might actually like help them also like in these harder situations because they're like not so much wanting to be happy in the situation, but like kind of more accept that okay now now it's an unhappy moment and then we just have to deal with that as as it is. Let's turn the discussion into the workplace. So quite a few of us spend some forty hours a week at the office or some other workplace now during the COVID times perhaps even more hours at the home office in front of the computer. So so therefore, definitely, you know, the companies, they have quite an impact on our day-to-day lives. So what kind of a role do you see that companies could have in developing a happy society? Or is that just a pipe dream? Companies have influence on that on many levels. That one thing, of course, is like through their own employees. So like, you know, different organizations, people's like employee well-being might be higher or lower, then can, there can be quite big differences in that. So of course, like one 
responsibility of the companies to make is to that the first responsibility of the companies to make sure that their own employees are doing doing well. So like you know that and and we know that it, that's actually a good thing also from the, like the business point of view in many times because especially in the modern work life where it's more about quality of your output and the quantity of your output that matters that most of the work that we do nowadays it's it's not like about like moving moving things from place A to place B but it's more about you know like creating some like novel solutions to some problems or like you know thinking a new some something that other people haven't been thinking about the work life that is like left for human beings like that that, that, that the artificial intelligence cannot take over is the, the work life where we have to be make make kind of these creative solutions we have to be like use our reflective capabilities for doing new things and in this kind of work we know that you know this this intrinsic motivation of the people matters that it that when it when it's more about the quant- quantity when it's only about you know moving things from pl- place a to b it's easier to like reward people with or, or like motivate people with external rewards but the more it's about this quality of the output the more it's about kind of like the intrinsic motivation of people and the less the people are motivated about this out- outside rewards and in order to foster this intrinsic motivation then the workplace has like quite much that they can do to ensure that people are actually having these high levels of engagement how high levels of commitment and through that also like not only having like high levels of well-being but also like performing better yes certainly that is something that it uh, you know can very well be seen in those workplaces that uh, pay attention to this so the motivated people they you know they enjoy work more they produce more and you know the company also then succeeds much better that way yeah and also a good way of like attracting talent to the company that you know that if you want to get the best people to your company like offering high salaries one thing that you can do but like also like having the promise that hey here you're going to be thriving you're going to be able to like use your capabilities to the max and feel that you're able to like contribute these kind of factors matter quite much also when people choose their workplace so having this reputation of being a company where people have high levels of engagement can can be quite important when the competition for the best talent is getting fiercer in many fields perhaps we can build a bit on that so contribution and perhaps contribution to society recently quite a few companies have adopted a you know clear corporate purpose something which embodies what they provide to the society at large in in the long run how do you see that this purpose driven business can also perhaps contribute to the happiness levels in society again there's several levels from on which it can contribute that so one thing is of course like you know that the employees themselves quite might be more motivated when they feel that they are part of like this higher purpose or like some bigger purpose so we know from research that people people's well-being is also like one co- factor contributing to people's well-being is this sense of being able to contribute having a positive impact on other people or on, on the society so like if a organization is is having this like clear sense of purpose then the employees within that co- company are are going to be like more engaged to the, and are more like committed to the mission the common mission and through that they're like again like you know experience higher levels of well-being but at, at the same time of course like also the the pur- purpose the content of the purpose matters like what what is the what what the company is doing like because if it's doing something good for the society probably it's it's something that you know also like increases the well-being of the people outside but of course that depends on the company and their purpose what 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 they are like contributing towards but i think there's like much potential for companies having purposes where where they imp- where, where they ensure that the impact is is positive on the on the people in the society and through that they're also contributing to the happiness of people so from this happiness point of view what would you as a 
researchers see as being a way to promote and measure happiness on a company level? So within the companies, of course, one can use these various surveys to do, do that. So I guess like because happiness is quite a subjective state, so it's still the best way to measure that is through asking people questions, you know, about that. So there are like various like standardized questionnaires that can be used to measure people's sense of engagement at work, sense of like commitment, sense of well-being and sen- sen- sense of happiness at work. So including these into the metrics that the com- company is looking at when they are making various decisions might be like helpful In the same way as, as I was saying that in, on a societal level, the society should look at like several indicators when making making decisions to see what is progress and what is not. The same way the company, when they are making decisions, they should not only look at the profit la- profit levels, but also like look at the, how the employee well-being is like developing. And of course, like, you know, if they see that the employee well-being is going down, that often means that, you know, that if they don't address that in some way, probably also the profitability of the company is going to be going down the long term. Because like if the employees are less engaged, less happy in the company, then some people might be leaving, some people might be contributing much less to the common common cost than they did before. So in that sense, kind of like this triple bottom line thinking or this like where one is like not looking at only one indicator, but like looking at several indicators is very much what I would like encourage the companies to do and include this employee well-being or en- employee engagement as one of these measures. And from your perspective, how do you see in the you know current leadership philosophy? Is this something that it is coming through? Yeah, I think like there's more and more talk about these kind of issues within like leading business magazines and with CEO conversations and so forth. So I think that that's that is something that is strengthening that quite many companies and quite many leaders are already seeing the benefit of taking into account employee motivation and making sure that, you know, the employees have like these high levels of engagement. So I think it's something quite many companies already do quite good things about and quite many companies are also like, you know, making steps towards including it better. But of course, there's like big variability between the companies. So some companies are like good examples of what should be done done as on this front. And then some companies are quite far behind. So that's one dimension where some companies can set themselves apart from their competitors and probably then hope, hopefully also like not only increase the well-being of the, their employees, but also like increase their growth in the future. That's really fascinating and certainly quite positive to hear that there's a movement behind this and companies are becoming much more aware of this and having that as one of the focus areas. Yeah, and as a researcher, I also like happy that there's like more and more research coming on this topic, which is also like quite useful in convincing various leaders that, hey, this is, this is something that you should be taking into account. So research is doing their own part in kind of like helping this movement to get on its feet. Frank, it's time to wrap up the interview and uh, I'd really like to ask as the final question something that I take many have asked you before. So what is it that makes you happy? Yeah, that's a good question. I think on a general level, I was talking you know, that the people's happiness is quite much dependent on being like this, this sense of autonomy and this sense of relationships. And I think that's like applies quite much to me me as well. So like I have three small kids who are like nine, six and four years old. So, you know, family is one key source of happiness for me at, at this moment. Of course, there are moments when the family is also not not the source of happiness when when the kids are are getting wild and so forth. But like on on average, of course, like it's it's a big big part of like what makes my life happy and meaningful at this moment. This like being able to spend time with with my family and also I've been thinking now that people haven't been able to see much their friends and other people. I'm like quite in a good position compared to a person who is like living alone. That you know that I'm every day I'm able to see this all able to live together with like other people and have this family around me every day. 
And then the other, other factor besides family is, is kind of like the work that I do, that I feel that I quite much found the kind of like the career or, or the, the kind of work that I really love doing and want to do. So I, sometimes when that, when people ask that, you know, if you would win the lottery and so, suddenly had like 10 millions of dollars, what would you what would you change in your life? And I've been thinking that, you know, that as regards my work, I wouldn't basically not change anything that, you know, that the thing that I love most doing is like getting up in the morning and having this cup of coffee and try, start starting to write some articles or think about some like new new ideas. So I feel that, you know, my sense of autonomy at work is very high and my sense of engagement. So in that sense, my answer is quite boring <laughs> that it's like kind of the, probably the most typical answer one can has, have for the question of happiness, that it's about family and <laughs> work. But that that just happens to be the case in my, my life at the moment. Well, I can certainly relate to that. So there are certain building blocks in life, and uh, and and those are the ones that you know bring the happiness once they are in place. Yeah. But on that happy note, we come to the end of today's discussion. We've contemplated what actually makes people happy, have examined why the Nordics seem to be so content with life, and how businesses can impact and increase happiness levels. I hope you have enjoyed the conversation. And I'd really like to thank my guest, Frank Martela, for what's been, for me at least, a fascinating discussion. It's been really a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk with you as well. And I'm always happy to talk about these topics. Thank you. Please subscribe to our podcast on your platform and stay tuned for more fascinating interviews and discussions in the near future. I've been your host, Atte Palomäki, and today we went beyond business.